0: I love uh, Don and Serena's testimony. It's a powerful testimony because it's such a classic example of how God takes broken things and he, he makes beautiful things out of them. And I, I love it. You know, when we're broken, we often think we're no good to anybody and God can't use me. You know, it's, it's when we're broken that God most often says, now, finally, I've got something I can work with. Because we have nowhere else to turn. We can't rely on ourselves or look to our own success when we're broken. We have no place else to turn. And God says, okay, now I have something to work with. That's been such a cool story uh, in Don's life. He's going to share some of that with you today. Uh, we've been trying to connect for months, get our schedules together. We've been trying to get them here. I think Serena may be here tonight as well. Uh, but Don's here to share with us this morning. i so grateful for you to be here today, Don. Would you help me welcome Don Sutton? Amen, amen, amen. It is an honor and a privilege. Thank you, Pastor, for the opportunity to share our heart and our passion for Jesus and for missions. Amen. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. I have a passion for Jesus, which drives me to missions. Dear Heavenly Father, I love you with all of my heart, and I thank you for the opportunity. I know, Lord God, that you order my steps and you direct my path. And God, I give you praise, honor, and glory for that. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask you right now to hide me behind the cross of Calvary, open up our understanding, order words in heaven, let them be uttered over my lips, Lord God, that we might leave different than we came. And God, I will give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I'm married to Serena Sutton, that little blonde-headed girl. I married her. We've been married for 30 years now. We have three children. Uh, Our oldest daughter is a missionary associate to West Africa, her and her husband, and our our new little grandbaby, Eli. Our youngest daughter is 23 years old, and she uh, works at a little place called Sight and Sound Theater in Branson, Missouri where they're doing the Esther production right now, and and then I have a 17-year-old son who will end up going with us for the full duration of our first term on the mission field. God has called us out of southern Missouri to go to a place called Francophone Pacific. Now, most people do not have any idea where Francophone Pacific, and I'll be honest, I did not know where it was when I first heard it myself. It's a place I've never been to. But I know without a shadow of a doubt, God is calling us to go there. Francophone Pacific is basically three island nations in the South Asia Pacific, French Polynesia, Wallace and Fortuna, and New Caledonia. New Caledonia has a very vibrant Assembly of God church. They had a bad experience with a missionary. They kicked him out of the country, and they say, you're not coming back. Wallace and Fortuna is 100% lost. They will not allow an evangelical on their soil. You cannot go there and share the name Jesus with them. They will run you off. Then you have French Polynesia. 118 islands with 8 Assembly of God churches. A place located in what we call Pacific Oceania. A place that's scattered with islands. 60 million square miles, 1,000 different languages, 23 nations, 30,000 islands, and 40 million people. But God has called us to go and be planted in a place called French Polynesia where there's eight Assembly of God churches, where the average age is uh, 48, about 45 to 48% of the population's under the age of 24. A very young people, a people that need to know about Jesus. We have been called to go. You know, your Bible says in Romans 8, chapter 10, it says, And if, if Christ be in you, the body is dead to sin, but if the Spirit is, uh, is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal body by the Spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if you live after the flesh, you will die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I thank God this morning that I am a son of God. I'm not the son of God, but I am a son of God. I have a big brother that stretched his arms out on an old rugged cross to save whosoever will call on the name of the Lord. And I believe God is calling men and women to go to the uttermost parts of the earth at this moment To reach the lost. If I say this morning we are living in the last days. Everybody in this room will agree with me that we are living in the last days. But sometimes I wonder as I preach across America raising our itineration budget. I wonder sometimes where is the urgency. The Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 7 I think it is. It says seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. I want to ask you a question this morning. How long is while? How long is while? How long is the dash on a tombstone between the day they were born and the day they die? The Bible says it's like a vapor. It's here one moment and it's gone the next. So that means our time is limited even if Christ's return is not coming in the next 10 years or 20 years. It may be tomorrow. I kind of hope it is. He sung that song, Come, Come, Jesus, come. And I'm like, I'm ready to go now. Let's go. But even if His return is far away. There's still an urgency inside my heart to go and reach the one that will pass away before they hear the name Jesus. And I believe with all of my heart, that is all they need to hear. Uh, uh, I heard this story a long time ago. A young man wanted to go into missions, and he contacted the missionary, and I think the country was Peru, but it doesn't really matter where the country was. But he called him up, and he said, I want to give my life for the the people of your country and the veteran missionary looked at him and said or talked to him on the phone and said son let me ask you a question how much time a day do you spend in the word of God and the young man said well you know I've got a girlfriend and I'm into sports and I got a part time job and and I'm really busy I don't really have a lot of time to to spend reading my Bible and the veteran missionary said "Well, well how much time a day do you spend in prayer he said well didn't you just hear me I don't really have the time for that. And the veteran missionary told the young man some wisdom that everybody in, on earth needs to hear. He said, Young man, he said, the people of my country don't need your life, they need Jesus. They don't need our life. They need Jesus. So therefore, if we are the body of Christ, they need us. They need the Jesus on the inside. Paul said it this way, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, but Christ lives in me. We've got to get full of Jesus and begin to go into the hedges and the highways and compel them to come in to the house of God, compel them to come to church, compel them to get saved. I was 14 years old, standing in the back of Sugar Tree Girl Baptist Church in Bunker, Missouri. Whenever I heard the gospel for the first time, oh, I heard it all of my life because my mother drug me to church from the time I was two until then. I had been to church every time the door was open. But at 14 years old, I heard it. At 14 years old, it got my heart, and I gave my life to Jesus. And I can promise you, I was a good kid. I didn't make, make a lot of mistakes in high school. I was made great straight A grades, all of that stuff. But at 19 years old, God called me into ministry. And I, I told God with shaking my fist at him, that is one thing I will never do. <laughs> and I ran from God. And as you've seen in the video, when I was twenty one years old, I begin to drink. I begin to begin to party. I become everything that I hated. I become everything that my mother and father taught me not to be. I became a thief, I became a liar, I became a cheat, I became a drunk in an attic at that moment of time in my life. And I had the world by the tail. I was making 200 grand a year. I had my own house, 100 acres, had it all paid for. I had, had the world by the tail. And if you would have looked at me, you would have said he is the epitome of success in America. He has the American dream. But there was only one problem. I could not find the God that I met at 14 years old. I laid my head on my pillow in my house. That was a nice place, believe me. And I laid my head on my pillow, but I could not find peace. I could not find that peace that you must have to to be able to lay down and sleep at night knowing that if I die today, I'll be in the arms of Jesus. And I begin to cry out to God. I begin to call upon the name of Jesus and I would go home. I'm just going to get real with you this morning. I would go out and get drunk and high and I would come home and I would lay in my house in the bed and I would cry myself to sleep at night. I would beg God to show himself. I would beg God to come and rescue me out of the mess I was in. People say sometimes, well, they're just a stinking drug addict. Let me tell you something. They are just a person just like you and they're just like me and they just get caught up in something that they can't get in. Uh, release from on their own and they need a power bigger than them to help them and I remember calling on God for uh, six months and he never answered I thought I'd be lost forever and I changed my prayer one night and this is what I said I had girls all around me that wasn't the deal but I said God if you have somebody for me to marry if you have somebody that can get me out of this mess, help me get out of this mess, send them to me. And I don't tell this very often because I don't want people looking down at my wife. But at a party one night, this blonde-headed girl walks in the door, walks up to me, sits down on the, on the chair over there in the corner. She's not drinking, she's not partying, she's not nothing. And my cousin says, Don, ask her out. And this is what I said to my cousin. I said, Serena's a good girl. She needs to go home. She don't need messed up in this junk. I know her. She needs to go home. And my cousin kept begging and begging until finally in my drunken state of stupor walked over and I said, hey, you want to go out? And she said yes. She got up and walked out the door. Pretty obvious, huh? So I had to go find her. I don't usually tell this part either me and her father had had a past there was one time I was trespassing on his farm fishing into creeks and he jumped out of the bushes with a shotgun stuck it to my head and told me he was going to kill me and bury me in the creek bottom now you pull up in that driveway saying can I have the hand of your daughter (laughs) but I did because I knew it People say, I don't know at what point we knew we was going to get married. I knew it the first day I met her. I knew it. And I went down to her house, and I told her, I said, hey, I said, you really want to go out? And she says, well, if you're going to date me, you got to go to church. And she took me on our first date to Centerville Assembly of God. And I can promise you, I don't usually tell this part either, but I don't remember what the preacher preached. I don't remember what songs they sung. All I remember about that service was there was a message and interpretation in tongues. And then a a Native American guy got out in the middle of the aisle and he got to dancing up a storm and the little Baptist boy was scared to death. I was like, what in the world has she got me into? But as the Spirit of God moved in that house, I knew all of a sudden I was in the presence of God. And I found myself in an altar that day, and I cried a pool of tears about that big around. And when I got up out of that altar, there was a weight upon my life that had been lifted off. All of a sudden, I wanted to live again. All of a sudden, I knew I was free again. All of a sudden, I knew there'd be no more drinking, there'd be no more partying, there'd be no more drugs, there'd be no more of any of that stuff because Jesus Christ had met me and set me free and whom the Son sets free is free indeed. I tell people this all the time and, and I've run over coming addiction classes now in Missouri for, for years and, and I tell them as well, there's something about being clean you can clean yourself up and you can get clean but there's a difference between being clean and being free There's a difference between being clean and being free. I have people tell me all the time, Donald, uh, I'm, 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 I'm so many months clean, so many this clean, so many that clean. I don't know when the last time I drank. I know when I came into church 30 years ago, the second week of May, is when I found myself in an altar. So it was somewhere around then. But I've been free ever since that day. Hallelujah. So I've made it my heart's desire to win people that are bound by life-controlling issues, and it makes no difference to me what they are. Whether it's alcohol or drugs, or whether it's sexual uh, perversion on uh, pornography, or whether it's anger or depression or whatever it is, I want to see you set free by the power of God. Amen. I'd love to say I went straight into ministry at that moment, but I didn't. I sat in church for 17 years after that and did absolutely nothing for Jesus Christ. I sat there and watched watched them sing, said hallelujah, raised my hands, put my money in the plate, paid tithes faithfully, give over an abundance above, supported, supported 19 missionaries on my own, my, plus what I gave to the church, but yet would not answer the call of God to my li- on my life until one night in a business meeting. And I tell this, and my wife gets mad, but it's the truth. They were fighting over something that didn't amount to anything. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, it's either now or never. So I stood up in the middle of the church, and I said, God, I said, I got to join the church. They let me join the church. Two and a half years later, I was the pastor of the church that I got delivered from alcohol and ad- addiction in. And, and, and we begin to, to thrive as a church because I had a woman come to me one day, and this was her words. I will quote her exactly. She says, Donald, pastor, we need quality people in our church. And I looked at her and I said, Miss, Miss Hasty, what is a quality person? Can you explain that to me? Because I don't know what a quality person is. Because I know what I was when I came into this church. Are you saying that I'm not welcome in this church? Because I, I wasn't who you were looking for? Jesus came to, to, to rescue sinners and bring them to repentance is what the word of God says. So I'm going to go after the worst of the worst of the worst. And I'm going to find them and bring them in. I went after the worst of the worst and a man named Billy. He would come into my overcoming addiction class and he was just playing games with God. So I took it upon myself every day to begin to call his name before heaven. God, I don't know how you're going to do it. I don't know what you're going to do. But God, you're going to save Billy and his family. God put it in my heart to go out to Reynolds. Reynolds is a little community that nobody goes to. Near where we live, Reynolds is a little community where a woman stood in my church one day, and this is what she said: "Quote, we thought it was normal for uncles to come get in bed with us at night." And I said, "Oh my Lord, that's Reynolds." And God said, "You go stand in the middle of Reynolds, and you pray, and I will save." And I went and I stood in the middle of Reynolds and I took half of my church with me and we stood out there. We did not knock on one door. We just stood there and prayed. And the next thing I knew, Billy came to my overcoming addiction class. He sat there and something had changed in Billy. And all of a sudden, I looked at Billy after it was over and he's sitting there staring down at the table all but shaking all over. And I said, what's going on, Billy? He said, I can't really explain what's going on, but I feel something today that I've never felt before. And I said, that's the Holy Spirit. Billy and I led Billy to Jesus that day I'd love to say Billy just become a preacher or something but he didn't he ended up going back to prison but while he was in prison He called home and told his wife, said, I don't care what you do. I don't care where you go, but take my children to church and let them hear that preacher down there in Centerville that they might get saved too. And I tell you this, I took Billy and eight of his children and his wife down to the river about a year ago and I took them down there and baptized all of them because they got saved by the glory of God. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And now part of them are in ministry. Amen. God, I heard this out in Oregon the other day, Pastor Murray out at People's Church, he kept saying this line. He said, go after the one. Leave the multiplication up to God. Just go after that one. Because if you'll find the one. Serena and I have been called to the mission field. We we pastored that church for about ten and a half years, something like that. a youth ministry before that and just different things we did. But, But God always put the one on our hearts to win the one. I was preaching that one morning and one day, and I had Brian Webb come through my church that night. And I'm sitting on the front pew, kind of like where pastors sitting now. And he begins to preach, and he says these words. He says, "I did not come for your money. I came for you." Now I know that he came for my money. He's a missionary. We got to have money but the Holy Spirit spoke in my heart that day and said I came for you and this is what I said to the Holy Spirit I said take somebody else they ain't doing nothing anyway you ever been whipped? <laughs> the Holy Spirit whipped me that day and then he added to me again he said I came for you I went out in the parking lot and I met Brian because I wasn't going to answer an altar call to missions in my own church. <laughs> and I met Brian in the parking lot and I made every excuse why I could not be a missionary. And finally he looked at me and he says, Donald, just shut up and go. You know. So I went to this place called Pentecost Vanuatu. Pentecost Vanuatu was a place where we were at, at least on that island. There was no running water. There was no electricity. There was no stores. There was nothing. It was a place of very primitive living chickens running everywhere, cows and chickens everywhere. Uh, It was just a very, very tough place to, to stay for a few days. But we went there and we built a medical clinic on the mountain among tribes that had never heard the gospel. We talk about places that are unreached, but these are places that have never been reached. And we built this medical clinic up in the mountains, and I believe they did two medical outreaches out of that building before it got blown blown away by a Category 5 cyclone and I sat in my house and I was a business owner at that time. I had a trucking company so I, I had to shut a lot of that down to be able to go on that mission trip and I figure it cost me somewhere around 40 grand to go. I don't know exactly what it cost but, but I remember sitting at the table and I was beating the table with my fist and I was complaining to my wife and screaming at God why did you let us waste our money? Why did you let us waste our time? Why did you let us waste our resources? And I'm I'm, I'm, I'm beating the table and I'm crying and, and, and all of a sudden my phone starts lighting up and, and I'm like what in the world is going on and and there's pictures of people being baptized in the ocean and and when I look at the pictures I really look at the picture and I'm like that's Rampator Pentecost Vanuatu I know where that's at and then the phone rings and it's Brian Webb and he says Donald he said I don't know for whatever reason but I felt like I was supposed to call you tonight he said I thought you just might want to know because you went and built a medical clinic among tribes that had never heard the gospel five of those tribes opened up and heard the gospel for the first time he said, "And now he said, "And now there are five Assembly of God churches on the island of Pentecost, Vanuatu, where there was none in 2019 when you were there. And now, as I stand here this morning, there's now seven Assembly of God churches on the island of Pentecost, because the church is in all-out revival, and people are being saved and baptized on a weekly basis. God is pouring out His spirit on all that is there. Amen. God is moving. So I really thought if I was ever going to be a missionary, it would be Pentecost, Vanuatu. But my wife don't want to live where there's no electricity. I'm going to blame her. So we went to this thing called Missions and Me, and we heard about a place called French Polynesia, Francophone Pacific, a place where there is no church in many places. We went there, and we begin to hear about the people of, of French Polynesia, how they serve a god called an Amakua, and how how they are 54% are, are Mohai. and and they serve a god called an Amakua, and they they believe he's a spiritual guide and they believe he can come back. The, the an ancestor that dies becomes lives in the stars, and they can come back anytime they need something and take on whatever form or whatever they need. There's a Catholic presence and a Church of Latter Day Saints presence, but the actual church that's there is probably less than one of the population and at that moment we heard that we begin to realize that the end is upon us we believe that with all of our heart we believe Matthew 24 is unfolding before our eyes but in the middle of Matthew 24 verse 14 it says in this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations then shall the end come it ain't coming until people go And I began to realize at that moment that I was called to missions, but yet I was still a pastor. And I realized at that moment there were places around the world where there was no voice for Jesus, but yet my pulpit in Centerville, Missouri, if I was not there on a Sunday morning, somebody would be in that pulpit sharing Jesus Christ. Serena and I began to pray and begin to fast, and we answered the call to missions. We are going to go there because we heard the story that they're wanting to raise up a Bible training center to to raise up church planters to go to islands where there is no church and plant the church. Begin to establish the church where it does not exist. That is my heart's cry. But yet, while our area director was there meeting with the local church to talk about getting this Bible college off the ground and what it was going to take and resources and everything that we can come along beside them and help them with, The president of the country called Brian Webb to the presidential palace. Not the president of the church, the president of the country called him to the presidential palace. And when he went, he thought he was getting kicked out of the country, but when he got there, he found a broken man. And the president of the country took Brian Webb and walked him down the capital city streets of Papiti. And begin to tell him how they bring all their student-aged children, those from 12 to 17, off of all the islands, to one island for schooling. And in the afternoons after school is out between that time and curfew, time to go to bed, they turn them loose in the capital city streets, and how teenagers get into everything that teenagers get into without supervision. He said, "Now for the first time, I have gangs in my country." And now for the first time, we have addiction problems in our country. Methamphetamine is being smuggled over the southern border of America into America, then trafficked to the islands. And if you can get a a load there to the islands, you can be a millionaire overnight. It's a big business now to smuggle it to these these places where uh, there is no no real uh, um, law or whatever you want to talk about. But he stood there with tears running down his face, and this is what he said. He said, I have 12-year-old children killing themselves because they have no hope. And he said, I don't have an answer. But if you have an answer, you have an open door in my country. And Brian Webb looked at him and he said, in 2018 is when it happened, he looked at him and he said, I have an answer. His name is Jesus. I have resources. I just don't have a missionary. And he called, God called me, he called Serena, he called the Molin family, and he called the Loper family. And we're going to go there and we're going to build the church. We're going to go there and we're going to reach these kids for the glory of God. We're going to educate them on the dangers of drugs and gangs and build after-school programs to tell them another way, the way of Jesus. We're going to go there and watch God begin to eradicate the influence the devil had on that society by preaching the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, by loving the unlovable, by going where nobody else will go and sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. But do you know this and understand, it's only good news if we get there in time. We're going to go there and watch God begin to erase, be a part of the restoration that only Jesus Christ can bring. I'm glad this morning that God erases pasts. I'm glad this morning. I sat in church 17. I said 13 this morning. It was 17 years. I sat in church and I thought my past disqualified me from being a pastor and disqualified me from being in ministry. And now I'm finding my past is the very thing that God is using to help me win people for the glory of God. You see... I believe that we've we got to become uh, adequate witnesses for Christ. And I believe we cannot do that without getting full of Jesus. I think it's time to read our Bible. I think it's time to pray like we've never prayed before. I think we need to get full of Christ. I think we need to be able to give an adequate explanation of who He is. 3.9, uh, 3.9 billion people on the face of the earth have never had an adequate explanation of who Jesus is. It's time that we, the church begin to be able to give an adequate explanation i read a statistic the other day the biggest percentage of the church will never lead anybody to christ i thought how sad that our life's goal is not to win the lost it's just to be happy i've learned long time ago that i did not need to be happy i need to hear well done thou good and faithful servant We cannot give an adequate explanation and we cannot be an adequate witness if we cannot be able to give an adequate demonstration of who Jesus is. I've learned that there is a power that's greater than me. The Bible says it this way, for the kingdom of God is not in word, but it's in power. It's in power. I remember when a little girl, seven years old, my wife calls me and says, hey, Rebecca broke her arm. I was in Vail, Colorado. I drove straight through and got home. And when I got home, there I found this little girl with her arm taped right here. And she looked at me and she said, Daddy, I've been talking to Jesus and he says, You take this off of me, I'll be okay. Dr. Marty, the surgeon, had already told us, is going to take three surgeries, pins, plates, screws, to put her arm back together. As she grew, they'd have to take plates out, put different plates back in. It was so messed up. And I took her to surgery. And as I took her to surgery in the back seat of the truck, she kept saying, I've been talking to Jesus. And he says, if you'll take this off of me, I'll be okay. We got to the surgery, and she looked at the surgeon, and she said the exact same words. And he looked at her like a monkey looking at a math problem. Because here's this little kid, and she's, she's adamant. He went and looked at x-rays. Long story short, he came over there and unwrapped her. He said, I'm going to prove to her it's broke. He looked at her. He said, straighten out your arm. And she went, boom. He said, do this. She went like this. He said, hold your palm down, straighten your arm as straight as you can get it, and now turn your palm upside down. Can't do it if your arm's broke. And she goes, God is my witness. He grabbed her by the hand, put it right back there, and taped her back up. He went and looked at x-rays. He'd come back, and this time he didn't go to her. He came to me. He stood right in my face like this, and please don't do that because that bothers me. I'm not sanctified yet. And this is what he said. He said, I can't explain it. Sometimes God just heals people. Now, remember, she's still taped up. We take her outside. He sends us home. We take her outside. We buckle buckle her up in the truck. There she sits still taped up and from the back seat as I started the truck put it in reverse from the back seat I heard one more time the exact same word she said every time daddy I've been talking to Jesus and he says if you'll take this off of me I'll be okay and I dawned on me at that moment we are quick to believe every word out of the devil's mouth. When he says we're losers, he says, says we're lost, he says we can't never make it, can't never be a preacher, can't never do this, can't never do that. We believe every word of it. But the moment Jesus Christ says something, we begin to question, we begin to doubt, we begin to fear, we begin all this stuff. And I said this to Serena. I said, Serena, how come it is that we're this way? I said, if God said it, let's believe it, unwrap her. And, and I begin to realize at that moment God was not testing my daughter's faith to see where my daughter was at. My My daughter had more faith than I had. My daughter had already been healed and she knew it. God was testing my faith to know whether or not I believed in what the word of God said. It's either true or it's not. He's either a savior of the world or he's not. He's either a glorified king or he's not. He's either my my soon coming king or he's not. I was there. When I walked into the hospital in the Rafa, a little Muslim doctor looked at me and said, Hey, your dad's dead. My dad was 1400 feet underground in the lead mines when he fell over. both arteries stopped up to his brain. My daddy was a chronic smoker, three packs a day plus the plus the lead mines. <laughs> And Rafa says he's dead. They, they got him to surface, took 45 minutes. The ambulance didn't show up. They threw him in the back of a Chevy pickup, drove him to the hospital. When they got there, they found a slight pulse on his left arm, so they put him in a helicopter and flew him to Barnes, Jewish, in St. Louis, Missouri. And whenever I walked in, I met Rafa, the little Muslim Iranian doctor, and he says, your dad's dead. I heard the Holy Spirit say, Pray. And me and my mother went out into the waiting room and we pushed back the coffee table and we pushed back the recliner and we got down on our face and we began to eat carpet. We began to pray and call upon the God who says it's not in word only, but it's in power. Three o'clock in the morning, they looked, they came to me and they said, Well, you know, if your dad lives, if your dad lives, he'll be on life support the rest of his life he will he will never know you he will never speak to you he went too long without oxygen to his brain over four and a half hours without oxygen to his brain they said he will never never be able to communicate he'll never be able to do anything that a normal man will do he will be institutionalized the rest of his life if he lives six o'clock in the morning they came to me and they said do you want to sit by your father and i said yes and I went into that intensive care unit and I walked by bay number one and I walked by bay number two and I got to the one that said Leonard Sutton on it and I pushed the curtain back and stepped inside. There was a nurse in the corner and there laid my father. Had 12 IV machines around him, wires and tubes and all kinds of stuff going in him and the best that he could do. Whenever I stepped inside, his eyes popped open. Whenever I looked at him, I, I kind of glanced at the nurse and turned back and looked at him. He said these words. He said, how are you doing son and I said I'm doing good daddy how are you doing and he looked at me and he said it's just me and Jesus now I don't mean much to you because you don't know that I'd never heard him say that name before I'd never seen him read a bible I'd never heard him pray I'd never seen him go to church not one day in his life and here my daddy is saying it's just me and Jesus now my daddy was 57 years old I flew out here uh, earlier last week, but uh, right before I flew out here, I went and sat on my daddy's couch because my daddy's still alive. He's now 84 years old, and he has one desire in life, and that is to love his God with all of his heart, mind, soul, and body. My daddy said that day, it's just me and Jesus now, and it's just been him and Jesus ever since. He loves God with all of his heart. Why do I tell you that story? Because while I was on my face praying, evidently Jesus was in there saving my father while I was praying Jesus was healing my father because my daddy does not have one ounce not one percent of brain damage going four and a half hours without oxygen to his brain that's the God that I serve that's the God that wants to oh come on mm. and God wants me to take that to the islands and rescue the hurting rescue the broken rescue the one that does not know him you know, the Bible says very plainly, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe on him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? We can't do this alone. It takes churches just like this one to help us. We always ask people to, to, to pray, give, and go. You know... I was in a meeting one night with me. My son was there. I watched him get up from the cross of the table, and he'd come around to me, and he said, Daddy, what can I do to make $5 a month to support Liam? Liam is Sam Paris's son, the missionary to Tana Vanuatu." And I'm a smart aleck sometimes, and I'm Henry. I'm but I said, Son, you can go home and help your mom clean toilets, thinking he'll say no. I was going to give him the five bucks. Whenever I told him he could go home and clean toilets, this was his reaction. I wonder what mine or yours would be. But he said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And you know what? He did it. I told him, you don't have to, son. I'll give you the money. It's not a big deal. He said, no, daddy. He said, this way it will be from me. My son's now 17 years old, and he's the missionary. He supported missions ever since then. And I'm pr- very proud of him. We cannot go without prayer. We cannot go without churches like this one giving. And we cannot go without you committing to go. We do not go alone. When you partner with us, you go with us. You become part of the mission. You become part of the team. We just ask you to pray. Whatever God puts upon your heart, and lastly, I know I, I kind of messed that up a little bit, but I want to I ask you to go. Maybe God calls you to a foreign nation. Maybe. Maybe God calls you to your neighbor. I only stand here this morning because of Nellie Burnett. 52 years ago, she knocked on our door, and she asked my mother to go to church. Nobody in our family history before that was a Christian. Nellie Burnett knocked on the door and my mother told her no. I got a husband that works night. I got two little boys. I don't, I can't. But Nellie Burnett didn't take no for an answer. And for eight months, Nellie Burnett knocked on the door. Said, won't you go to church with me, Joan? And finally, my mother said, I'm going to go to church with this woman just to shut her up. And she went to a little church and heard the gospel for the first time in her life and believed and she become a powerful Pentecostal woman that loved God and loved people and taught us to love God and love people. And I promise you, I would not be standing here if it wasn't for Nellie winning my mother to Jesus. And I would not be here if it was not for the prayers of my mother. Guaranteed. I believe with all of my heart, everybody on the face of the earth needs to hear the call of Isaiah 55, 1 through 3, where God says, come. If you thirst, just come to the waters. If you got money or you don't got money, just come. He says down there, verse 6, Seek the world while he may be found. I don't know what you have need of this morning. I don't know what you're struggling with. I don't know what you're bound by. I don't know what what kind of physical ailment or or life-controlling thing you have going on. But I can promise you this. I know a God that's able to deliver. I know a God that's able to set you free. I know a God that's able to touch you where you are. I've seen people healed of cancer. I've seen people get up out of wheelchairs. I've seen him raise the dead. I've seen him heal children in their womb, in the womb. They told me my youngest daughter would be retarded and deformed. Every test they could run said that. And I remember walking out of the hospital with my wife and I said my faith is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ, my righteousness. I will not receive a negative report from the devil. I will trust in the name that is above all names. They wanted to hire counselors to counsel me because I was crazy. I needed to deal with what was in front of me and really consider aborting my child because of the hardship in life that she would have to go through. And I stood on the word of God, and I can still remember when Dr. Prince came flying into the delivery room, and Dr. Prince came flying in there, and her first words was, I've been praying for you. And my Elizabeth was born perfect. My Elizabeth is a genius. She aced her ACT to get into college. My Elizabeth reads 800 words a minute with a 90% retention rate. She is an absolute, she's too smart for her own good. But I think God just did that to kick the teeth into the devil. Amen. Amen. Pastor, thank you again so much.